and you're listening to the Staff Room Podcast with Che, Hurricane Cheney, and Pav, Wander, Woman, Wander. We talk casually, yet poignantly, about the most relevant topics in teaching today. So come and hang out with us. We're always in the mood for a great conversation. Welcome to episode 60 of the Staff Room Podcast. We're so excited that you're joining us today for our conversation on math talks and why they're so important to include in our classroom. Before we get into that, though, we should probably introduce ourselves. My name is Pav Wander, and I make up half of the hosting hosting team of the Staff Room Podcast, my co-host, who makes up the other half, is sitting next to me, and he usually introduces himself. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, it's the Staff Room Podcast <laughs> with Chain Path. Um, I see you uh, struggled a little bit with, uh, you know, being half the duo that runs the Staff Room Podcast. Well, because I know that it's always going to be followed up with, well, I make up 4.37% of the Staff Room Podcast. Sounds to me like we're having some math talk right from the get-go. <laughs> That's right. And you know what inspired this conversation this week is that... Tell me. Uh, well, I was teaching math, which mm-hmm. is probably not a particularly good thing in the overall grand scheme of things. You're a great math teacher. But I was teaching some math, and uh, my class has been doing some algebraic expressions, mm-hmm. you know gradually building and adding on more and we hit a little bit of a rut okay and we weren't really able to handle multiple variables and negative integers Mm -hmm. and that's sort of where i saw where the problem was but i didn't want to just start telling you kids we can't handle negative integers (laughs) um you know I, i kept modifying lessons different little activities little group parent shares one question modeling stuff on the board trying to just sort of facilitate the discovery and it wasn't quite going well but it was still good productive struggle and then i just said kids forget this forget the math we're just going to talk about math what mr chain what do you mean talk about math we're just going to talk we're just going to debate we're going to figure this out let's just talk about this Mm -hmm. so we can figure out exactly where we're going what we're doing right what's going wrong and you know what kids Let's film this, huh? <laughs> Let's film I said, Mr. Cheney's not, he's not well-versed in math talks, so mm-hmm. I need to get into my own comfy zone, so let's connect this to, the, to some digital creation. Oh, Mr. Cheney, tell me more, tell me more. Well, I'm not going to tell you anymore, kitties. That's it. We're going to do some math talk. Yeah. And then we said, Pav, uh, I didn't say we, because, you know, it's just me, but when I say we, we had the conversation, and I said, <laughs> how about we, and let's do some math talk this week, and you know you had a, a great idea for this week, and uh, I got to thank you, because you deferred, so we're actually, we're actually organized in that we know what our topic is. Next week. Next week. That's right. But if the teaching goes a certain path the, yes. this week, then we'll divert. Yes. But it was really fun to engage in some math talks this week, and it got us reflecting on math talks, and you've taught a lot more math than I am, and you gave me some of your stories, and then we did some little bit of research. So we are ready today to talk about 
the relevancy, the importance, and why we want to embed math talks in our class culture. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. This, uh, as you mentioned, you know, we did pivot a little bit just because this is something that we have been including in our classroom a little bit more. We're learning more about SEL uh, and how we can embed that more so in our math programming. And I think that the math talk sort of stemmed out of our need to really understand our students a little bit better, especially when it comes to math and not necessarily always be telling them from the top down these are the things that you need to know and we don't care how you figure out how how to know them you just need to know them by the end without really understanding where the students are coming from um i'm thinking back a couple of years ago when we had a really powerful um professional development session at the school where we talked a little bit about our understanding of math and um, how we grew up with math in our homes, in our families. And I don't, I don't know if, were you in that math PD? There's not a chance. The gym guy and LA teacher was part of any math PD. And I can't quite remember if it was a whole staff thing or if it was just a few people that were in this math PD. But, uh, but we talked about uh, our understanding of math as per our our uh, our history, our home situation when we were growing up as students and what was math like for you when you were growing up. And this is a conversation that I've never had with my students nor with colleagues. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a first generation Canadian home. So my parents emigrated here, immigrated here from um from India in the 70s and uh, and so I was born and raised here but my parents were were immigrants and so math uh, was always something where there was a lot of pressure put on me. You, you know, you have to do well in math because without a good understanding in math you won't be able to get into a good program in university and you won't be able to become blah x y and z and so um so there was a lot of pressure on me to do well in math. And so above any other subject area in in school, it was always, do you understand the math? It was, how are you doing in math? There was no, you know, how are you doing in the arts? There was no, how are you doing in language arts? How are you doing in in phys ed? There was, it didn't, none of it mattered. It was, how are you doing in math? above everything else and it's do you understand the math you need to be more enriched in the math you need to understand better math and so there was I think it's because of that pressure that uh, I found it you know intrinsically I found that there was more of a need for me to understand how others perceive math and and I found it powerful because up until that point I had always assumed that everybody else had the same uh, experience growing up, that there, there was always the same pressure put on, there was a hierarchy of subjects in school, and it was, it was always math on top, and then it was maybe science and language arts, and then maybe history, geography, and then all of the arts, and phys ed was always, for me, in, in terms of, you know, what your expectations are, it was always last, and so... Although those things changed for me growing up and into the future, um, 
you know, on a personal side of things, I, I had always had that idea in my mind that every grew, everyone grew up in the same way with the same kind of pressure put on them for math. But that wasn't the case. And it wasn't until that professional development situation with other colleagues talking about their experiences in math that I that I started to think about myself as a teacher and what I might be imposing on my students, um, what I might be projecting because of my own lived experiences. And so um, I think it was that was the turnaround point for me when I began to think about math a little bit differently in my classroom. And I think that this conversation in regards to math talk sort of stems out of the need to bring more conversation to the table so that we, we one, begin to understand student stories a little bit better, but then also begin to accommodate our teaching to meet all of their needs and to allow them the opportunity to bring their own strengths to the table in through conversation and through dialogue. So for me, that I think that this is why it's such an important topic for us to discuss today. Okay, so... You've broken that down beautifully. I got some notes. I had to take some notes. I am relatively new to math in regards to teaching. I've taught it once or twice here or there in the 20 years, but predominantly I haven't. And you've talked about math talks before and and you've highlighted some. As I've dove into my math program, I knew math talks were going to be a part of my new program. And I've really embraced the idea of exploration and productive struggle and fewer questions and really time to get into a question. Uh, I've had a math class where it's just been one equation Mm -hmm. and we've just worked on it and we've talked and we've collectively worked it through. And so me ascending to math talks is one, as as a new math teacher, I had to get comfortable to get there. And you talked on some of those key points is, is what is it doing for my math program? It's really embedding math and talk as a community, and it changes the whole mindset of math, mm-hmm. that it's not procedural per se, it's not about uh, following a formula, coming to a right answer per se. You can have the same right answer and gotten to it a variety of different ways, yep. and let's talk about this. Let's see how we got into this rich conversation. Math becomes a community, and some of the words that have, have really popped up to me is a couple of key benefits of math talks, is it's student student uh, back and forth dialogue and conversation and it's a great teaching point to get students to learn how to challenge each other in a respectful way in a in a productive way understand that I'm not just trying to throw you under the bus I'm trying to have this productive struggling pro- conversation to lead somewhere and we've already talked about this before that students display and cement their learning at the highest level when they're engaging in conversation and back and forth dialogue and teaching of each other. And so it really opens up that gateway that I, as a teacher, am not centralized. It's not the Mm -hmm. colonial method. I am no longer centering myself as the answer key or as the pivot or pillar of of my math lesson. It's that dialogue back and forth. And so it's really a great component for that. It's also... It really is social-emotional learning. It's giving students an ability to come at the numbers, come at the problem with their own lens, with their own ideas, not thinking they need to solve it in the way that I've prescribed that it has to be solved, very much connecting to that new social-emotional component to our curriculum or just good curriculum, good social-emotional adaptation overall. It's just to understand these conversations lead to that. For me, it also played into really good, authentic feedback. As I was listening to students communicate and talk, and in, in my particular example I'll give later, they were making videos, 
it gave me a really solid feedback point, more so than a feedback point of going through their scrapbook of how they'd work through a question. I had their talking points and where I thought they were struggling to uh, communicate and articulate a certain position in a, in a math problem. It gave me a real entry point to say, oh, let's talk about this. How about we think about that? Oh, tell me more about this. It really gave an opportunity, a gateway for really authentic feedback, meaningful feedback, which have, again, is good social emotional uh, learning and teaching because it's not just a quiz. It's not just a performative evaluation. I gained so much listening and observing the, those students' conversations. I know they're excited about the numbers. They're excited about the debate. Yeah. Why is this right? Why is this wrong? How come these are both right, but they're not done the same way? How, Especially when in the algebraic expressions, like when I had the 6x plus 2 equals seven, 7x plus 4, the debate about what number you had to deal with first, and it didn't matter what number you dealt with first, but yeah. it, it was sort of like this, what do you mean? What do you mean, you, Mr. Ch I don't have to deal with the 6X first, Mr. Cheney? Yeah. No, you you don't. <laughs> you mentioned so many important things there, and uh, you know, I love that idea of providing the feedback, and, and this is something that I wanted to touch on as well. Um, you know, the point where my students for the very first time and, and it floored me when this happened was when students when students had said to me, I didn't know that math could be this much fun. And all we did for the entire period was talk about the math. And and there was real learning happening. There was real discourse and there was real explanation of all of the different uh, strategies that were used. And and when it comes to math talks, I sort of divided this up into three different categories in my mind. Um, there was the, the SEL portion, so recognizing, hearing, and acknowledging the stories of students and the relationship to math, right? So that's the SEL pro portion uh, of of math talks. And then the second part was the allowing students the opportunity to explore the different strategies um, for approaching math tasks. So this is, you know, this is where, you know, you're really getting into, as you mentioned, the like algebraic expressions and talking about how you might solve them and not necessarily worrying about, you know, as as even myself as a teacher has always been like, make sure you show your work. Well, no, no, let's not even worry about showing your work on paper yet. Why don't you just communicate your work to us for the time being? Why don't you just talk about what you might do? And this is where I have seen um, the thinking process really come alive for my students. We don't have to worry about thinking, saying, then writing, all we have to do right now is think and say, let's eliminate an entire step just so that we can work on that processing. And then the third part was, uh, as part of math talks was, uh, giving space to make mistakes openly and honestly. And I think that that comes from all of the dialogue that we, we can have. I don't know that it's possible to start having really great discussion until we can acknowledge the relationship that we have with math as students. Uh, so we talk about how we feel about math. And it was important for me to understand how my students feel about math. And so that was the first thing that we did in math was talk about what are your experiences with math in the past? How does math make you feel? When you see on your timetable that it's time for math, really reflect on this. Tell me what 
starts to happen in your body? Do you start to feel anxious? Do you start to feel bored? Do you feel like you want to get over with this as soon as possible? Or you are you interested to see what what we might be learning about and how you do? Overwhelmingly, my, my class was very much, you know, by the time students get to grade six and seven, they already have sort of this anxiety towards math. And so, you know, we acknowledge that. And now, and now we're at the point where we're starting to have these great discussions as you are, Che, with your class as well. And, and we're talking about math strategies and what we could potentially do to solve a task. And so just like we might do in social studies or in language arts, we are having full class discussions. We're talking about math and some classes go by where not a single word is written down by students or not a single number is written down. Everything is oral and verbal and we're questioning back and forth and we're talking and we're discussing what the math means. And those are the days when my students display the most learning and, and I'm able to provide them with the feedback and I'm, and I'm seeing the thinking happening in real time. And then I'm, and then we're able to, and then I'm able to propel the conversation further by asking more questions. And so these are the periods when my students end with, I actually really enjoyed that class. And for me as a teacher, that is so meaningful to hear. And it is so special to hear because I'm, I wasn't getting that response when it was you know, paper, the pencil to paper tasks for the entire period. Oh, you dropped some nuggets. I can tell you how I felt when mm-hmm. I saw math on my schedule as yeah. a teacher. Are you bleep? Are you a bleep? What the bleep? I'm a gym guy, eh? <laughs> this is not uh, an explicit uh, uh, podcast episode, so you got to be careful there. That's why I said bleep. I know, I know. Just, you know, just in case those bleeps didn't make I, it through. I got one favorite number, 25, to win a volleyball set. And okay. then other than that, I mean, I got, and then after I got to win by two. Like, how much more math talk do you need than that if you're a gym guy? <laughs> That's right. Um, one of the articles I checked out was why students needed more math talk. And as you were talking, I was making connections to that article. Because it really talked about that math talk really leads to math proficiency. Because we sort of... No matter how hard we try, math still has a sense that it's magic. If I can just find the right formula, I'm going to get the answer without really always knowing why it's working. And so that math talk really builds that math proficiency because it makes you understand the why things are working the way they are. And it's many of my conversations in my class, I've always talked about the failures, the mistakes are just evidence to the success. And then When you talk about your success, how you validate how right you were was in knowing the mistakes you make. That's how you know you're Mm -hmm. right. And so um, one of the article really talked about uh, was math proficiency. And then it also talked about how it just really increases basic memory. When you have those communications with people, I always talk to my students that every time I'm talking, that the person that's learning the most is actually myself Mm -hmm. because I'm engaged in the dialogue. So every time I start to talk, I always try to realize and I actually communicate this with my kids. Every moment that I'm talking is a moment where I'm the one doing the most learning because we learn through the dialogue. You learn through speaking and, and, and working it out yourself orally. That's known. So I Every time I speak, I just try to stop because I realize this is me learning. Even if it's grade eight and I've taught it 
seven years or 10 years or 20 years, it's still validating and cementing my learning more than it is my students because right. they're, they're just consuming. They're just consuming. For you, you're you're actually going back and you're reflecting on your understanding of the math. And, and you know, there are so many things that I have gone back to relearn in a in a different way and that's part of the math talks right is to to go over the different perspectives uh with math the different strategies in math and to compare them with other people because no no two people think the same way and so if you're able to understand the math a little bit differently through somebody else's understanding of it um that can only help you a little bit better because you might you know you might be able to use that strategy now moving forward in some way and so that, that it's always so wonderful to see that in our students and to see which way they think because thinking is not linear right it's it's all over the place and and no two people are going to approach a problem in the same way and so it is absolutely it's so important mm-hmm. a couple more nuggets before we dive into our three you got some minutes. more nuggets. i got some more nuggets one thing the the article and and my own observations is that when you make conversation and debate part of the math culture it then becomes part of the normalized class culture and then it transcends and you get the same rich debates in other subjects the same challenging of answers and so overall it just builds great language acquisition mm-hmm. it builds great social skills it yes. builds great debating skills that's right um and then when we come back to sel it builds a real confidence in your math like when you feel comfortable and confident to talk on a topic it does build you up. It does lift you up. And so there's so many great things that come as a part of the math conversation, yeah. just on a holistic approach. The, you know, when you think about teaching the whole student, we don't need to compartmentalize it. You can have your math talks and you are just supporting your student, your class culture and your own teaching in so many ways. Yeah, absolutely. Che Cheney, I think that we read maybe the same article because I had the same notes written down here, improves memory and understanding, aids language and social skills, boosts confidence and interest in math. And that was research that was done by Suzanne Chapin and Beth Herbel Eisenman. And so um, possibly we read the same article. There's no chance that I read an article. <laughs> and this is all, I, 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 all just off the top of your head. Oh, no, I was going to say the audio version. I oh, would the never, audio never version, take, right. I never did credit you for know, that. You know, this could be a different conversation, but Newzella, you know, you and I have mm-hmm. both been using, and a, a lot of teachers use Newzella, but you can actually listen to articles on, uh, on Newzella, and I have found that to be very helpful within my classroom. Um, but that's going off topic. It is going off topic, but I'm going to jump on anyways. Sometimes it's not even so much that you make use of the, the audio translation of the article. It's just, there's a comfort level knowing it's there. It's there. Yeah. And, and it always makes me happy when, you know, the class is quiet and all of a sudden I hear, I hear an article being read out loud. It just makes my heart flutter a little bit. It's like you're using the technology that's available to you. It's coming back back to your math talks in the sense that you talk about strategies and yeah. way to handle and then students when they when they're going into the reading of this particular article on that on in that uh, unit you you immediately have a strategy you know you can divert to or if i think of my own children once they feel they can't read something they're out because it's like either i can mm-hmm. read it or i or can't, I can't read, read it, it yeah and thus if i feel any sense that i can't then i'm out yeah where it's- and and I feel like that our students are getting a little bit better at this right now. And it might be because of remote learning. It might be because of all of the infusion of all of the elect the uh, the 
electronic tools that are available to kids now. But even my son, you know, he's using this uh, this app to read books. And before I even knew that this was possible, he just pressed a word that he had a hard time reading like a little bit longer than a second. And, and it was read out loud to him. And, and so I was just like, ah, oh, I, didn't, I didn't know you could do that. And he's six years old and he just taught me something. Book Talks. Book Talks. That'll be uh, in two weeks. Let's fire up our three enlightened minutes because it is far more <laughs> than three enlightened minutes. But it certainly is enlightening. It's, you know, anytime you're talking about Tracy Browder, you're going to get enlightening. And uh, we are so thankful. Uh, enthralled that we can call Tracy our friend and someone that uh, we have been able to have some fantastic conversations with. Uh, Tracy Browder is an educator from Texas. Uh, Currently, she's in a kindergarten teacher role, which she loves, as you will hear from her three enlightened minutes. Uh, But she has taught third grade, uh, lots of primary instruction, and she's also been an instructional coach as well. And she's going to talk to us a little bit more about her work recently in the area of equity and anti-racist education and uh, and a little bit more about the Grit Crew EDU, which has been formed over the last... Uh, Arr, I'd be sensing a little pirate action coming on I here. I think there might be a little bit of pirate action coming on here, but... Uh, it's about time we got back <laughs> to the seven seas of teaching. So uh, if you didn't know, pirates like to interrupt people as they're speaking. Because we don't like to read and out in the seven seas we like to swing our sword <laughs> so here is tracy browder swinging her sword in our three enlightened minutes hi i'm tracy browder and these are my three enlightened minutes i'm an educator in mansfield texas i have taught third grade i've been a reading specialist and an instructional coach servicing K through five. I'm currently a kindergarten teacher and that is my passion. Um, But, you know, I have several passions and I know they asked me to talk about one, so I'm going to do my best to do that. Um, But I have to say that what I'm most passionate about is really igniting in educators the the passion and the spark to reach every child, to treat each child like they're their own child, to go to the ends of the earth for every single child, to get them excited about learning, to make those connections. I'm equally excited about remote learning. Um, you know, it's really important to me um, to, to connect with kids and the families during these unprecedented times. One of my biggest passions that um, apparently has just been stirring in me for quite some time is equity and anti-racism awareness and education. Uh, this summer, I was fortunate enough to um, be invited to lead the lead like a pirate chat on Twitter, um, hosted by the authors of uh, Lead Like a Pirate, Day uh, not Dave, <laughs> Dave Burgess, um, Shelley Burgess and Beth Hoof. Um, it, it's an amazing book. You have to get it. But anyway, I was leading the chat and 
it's on a Saturday and then the following week at the end of the chat on Saturday um, the the guest facilitator will ask a thought-provoking question that carries over into the week and I had asked that question and so we were midweek in the conversation and then the unthinkable happened um, George Floyd lost his life um, you know, oftentimes people say at the hands of, well, he lost his life at the knee of a police officer. So I couldn't continue um, a conversation that wasn't connected to that. And so I asked Beth and Shelley if they would mind if I transitioned to talk about what was going on um, in society with the loss of George Floyd. And they graciously said, please do. And so I, I, I thought about it and, you know, I, I decided that it would be the Leading by Learning series. Um, you know, in order to lead through something that a lot of people may not be aware of, there, there's a learning piece for individuals. So as we're preparing to lead, we need to learn. So that's how I came up with Leading by Learning. And that was in May. And we are still in that series. Um, every single week, we are diving into deeper and deeper and deeper anti-racism awareness and education and talking about taking risks and realizing that there are things we don't know and being humble enough to know that there are things that we don't know and be open and willing to learn and not retreat um, when things get difficult. And the conversations have been painful. Oh, oh, so very, very painful. I have my own too many to share painful stories connected with um, racism and being judged just by the color of my skin. So, um, this was really personal to me. Um, I have two adorable, beautiful black young sons. And of course, my husband is an adorable, handsome, beautiful black man. And so I, I, I get firsthand how black men in particular are judged, um, feared. They're they're viewed as a threat and um, oftentimes the response to a threat is violence without even without giving someone a chance um, it, it's personal and painful so anyway I continue to um, lead this series in the lead like a pirate chat um, and I asked Beth and Shelley if I could bring in another voice because when you're focusing on um, dismantling, trying to dismantle systemic racism, you have to have other voices. You have to have allies. And um, once again, they graciously said yes. And I invited a colleague that I only connected with on Twitter this summer. Her name's Dawn Harris, and she is amazing. And so together, we continued this work in the lead like a pirate chat. And um, we, we began to 
talk to educators about, you know, this is hard. This work is hard. What you're about to do is like nothing you've ever done before. And it's going to take grit. And in a conversation that Dawn and I were having, um, just brainstorming and pouring out our hearts and shedding tears, preparing for um, the lead like a pirate leading by learning chat. Um, I said, you know, you're going to need a grit crew. And so that was so profound that we actually began to um, build the foundation of Grit Crew EDU. And so we continue each week to lead the conversation um, in the Lead Like a Pirate chat around anti-racism and equity and awareness and taking risks and building allies and having voices in schools and bridging the community and the schools together and being those voices for students and letting students know that we see them. We've continued this and we've been fortunate enough to have um, school districts reach out to us and say, will you Will you guide us through um, equity and and anti-racism awareness and education? And so we've partnered with the school district that we'll be working with for an entire school year. Um, We have a couple of others in the works. And so we hope that uh, the work of Grit Crew EDU will continue to support school districts around the country. to help dismantle systemic racism, to, to help everyone have that empathetic thirst to learn and to have conversations and to reflect on themselves, curriculum, how they run their classroom. Does every student feel like um, they are represented in their classroom, in their school, uh, discipline, policies, extracurricular activities. Um, We're we're really working hard to um, help school districts on a global scale um, take some bold steps. So where does my inspiration come from to do this? Um, Lives that have been lost. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Botham Jean, Ahmaud Aubrey, I could go on and on and on. I, I do it for them. Um, I do it for my own two sons. I do it for my husband. I do it for um, students who are marginalized and underrepresented and misrepresented uh, in the media amongst teachers. Um, there are so many role models and so many people who have been doing this work for many, many, many years, who have um, degrees in racism and anti-racism awareness and education. Um, So many role models. There's so many books. Oh my goodness, so many amazing books that um, I could recommend. It's painful. It really is painful. Um, Yeah. 
I'm, I'm really, I'm hurting as I talk. So I'm going to wrap up um, because it is painful. Yeah. Um, on a lighter note, I am happy to say that I do have a book coming out soon with um, DBC, um, Dave Burgess Consulting. <laughs> Switching drastic gears, it is all about the happiness of teaching. And it's not just happy with smiles on your faces. There are some secrets and some layers underneath the happiness of teaching that most people do not think about. And it is truly the secrets to um, the joy and the passion and the longevity of a career in teaching and reaching every single child. So um, the book will be coming out soon. I, I think it's just going to be something that every educator needs to read. Um, yeah. These are my three enlightened minutes. Back to you, Che and Pav. And that was Tracy with her three, and by three, I mean 11 uh, <laughs> enlightened minutes. And, you know, when we saw that, I said, 11 minutes, what? And I said, nay, this is teacher talk. This is what teachers do. Hey, class, I know there's only a minute to the bell, but I want to talk to you for a second. Are you kidding me, Mr. Cheney? I know what this means. You're going to lose 20 minutes of my lunch. And we could be talking about nothing of importance. No. Um, but this is what teachers do. This, I'm a professional educator. I can take any 30-second talking point and turn it into a 25-minute lecture. That's not to say that Tracy Browder didn't have important things to say during her three and a half oh, minutes. Oh, no. Tracy, and Tracy could have talked for about 30 minutes. And we've been That's on her right. podcast twice. And the conversation... and Intelligoji, yes. Yeah. And lots of Voxer conversations. Like, the conversation is always deep. Yes. It's always impactful. So when you talk about speaking from your heart, that is what Tracy is. She speaks yeah. from the heart. And uh, I think that's why we've gravitated to her so yes. many times and learned so much from our conversations. And we are very much associated because we share a lot of the same networks, networks with Voicehead Radio and School Rubrics. So we're really excited to get Tracy on and really excited by the 11 minutes. But yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be... Jay Hurricane Cheney, if I didn't, you know, use the 11 minutes as, you know, fodder for material <laughs> later. Of course, of course. And that's what Jay uh, Hurricane Cheney does. And, so. and But I made a great connection. We've all had this moment as a teacher. Of course I, I we just, have. I, kids, I need, kids, I need to talk to you for 30 seconds. I, <laughs> I, need, I need one minute of your time. Um, and when my kids, you know, my students last year when they knew about the podcast, they said, Mr. Cheney, should we record this? Could you use it later? And I'm like... Uh, yes, <laughs> put on your, and I will be very performative children in my speech today. <laughs> Kids, listen to me. <laughs> Are you done, Mr. Cheney? All right, we finished up now. Do, you don't do the voices with your class. Which voices? Any voices. You don't do accents with your kids. No. Or like, uh, not accents, I, I shouldn't say, but these voices. These comical characters. Yeah, these characters. I am over the top when I I know stuff. you are over the top, but I don't know if I hear it. It's different. I this is a podcast. It's, it's for teachers. And this is staff room talk. You, you know, your very healthy staff room. Not your staff room that you don't want to go in there because 17 teachers have labeled their chairs. It's my care. Um, 
Uh, that sort of stuff. Sorry. Yeah, that kind of <laughs> stuff. You know, We've all been in we, that Because you know, whatever goes to the staff room, who wants to go to the staff room? Because you know you got to go in there and you got to clean 16 dishes that have been sitting there for three weeks. Yeah. The fridge, you want to make sure someone takes your, your stuff from your fridge, put your name on it. Yeah. If you put something in your fridge, you don't put your name on it, kitties. It won't. It'll be there forever. It'll be there forever. Yeah. Or is it? You know, one of my old teaching friends said, "You know what you do? You because you, you know what goes missing all the time? Mm-hmm. Cream. Coffee cream. Coffee cream. I was miss- just about to say coffee cream. Yeah. And so my old buddy Graham Vern said, "We're just putting. We're labeling this science experiment." <laughs> and we did. And it never went missing. Well, I guess. I mean, we used it in our coffee, so I can't be sure or not, but it's a much better. <laughs> it's just a great story at that point with no point finishing the story because you really don't want to know if it worked or not. You just want the idea that some teachers putting their stuff in their fridge and they put a science experiment. That's right. Well, let's get back to the topic here. Yes. Math talk. Mm-hmm. And one of the parts that sort of inspired this conversation this week is that I dove, you know, head into some math talk to try to support some uh Find new ways to connect with our algebraic expressions as the skills we were trying to uh, evolve to. We were just, we were hitting some roadblocks and we were hitting roadblocks with negative integers and we were hitting roadblocks with multiple uh, variables. Up until then, we'd been moving great, we'd been ascending great, and we just hit a natural productive struggle. And I was just trying to find ways for our students to feel comfortable with the struggle and articulate the struggle. And then also for me to find ways that they could address where they knew they were missing. Like I was doing like, like quick exit tips. You know, here's a question. Just let me take a look. I said, and I would tell me, it's just a diagnostic I want to see. So I mm-hmm. was seeing where we were struggling, but collectively as a whole group, I don't think every student was comfortable to know that, you know, where I was struggling was the same place you were struggling and yeah. thus we could work this out together. And so we set ourselves making up some math talks. And you can do math talks a variety of different ways. You can you do some pair sharing. You can and in in this new COVID experiment, I was saying, okay, we can group up, but we'll space ourselves. We'll go all the way down the halls. You do a little conversation. Make sure you have three points. What do you want to talk about? And then I scaffolded by giving some some prompts. I'm struggling because I like this. I do a problem. I get hook uh, stuck here. I had a series of prompts that if kids wanted to use those to initiate the conversation, they could, and then just let them know they didn't. And then at the end, I said, okay, so let's, let's have a little bit of, you know, more fun with this. I got this little green screen space I've set up in the back of my room, where it's just literally green chart paper that I hot glued onto the wall. So it only cost about $6. Don't tell the caretakers that you use hot glue. Oh, hot glue actually is the easiest to come off. It's the glue sticks and the white glue that actually is the more difficult to clean off. Hot glue will just peel off eventually. Scrape it off? Not even scrape it. Literally, we just just almost peel it off just because it stays intact. Uh, Little tidbits with Mr. Cheney. So set that up and then I set it up, you know, my milk crates. I love milk crates, a little stand. And then I said, okay, kids, we're going we're gonna to make a 30-second video or a 10-second video or a minute-long video, but I want to, let's record our math conversations. And then we'll tap in, let's learn how to use the green screen. Let's find a picture, an image. Maybe you'll want to take a picture of your own math. Maybe you'll go online and find a list of strategies on how to solve an algebraic expression. Maybe you'll just find a picture of an algebraic expression. So they had some fun curating what picture they wanted to go in the back of their 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 conversation and then they had their conversation but it was authentic not authentic to be you know narcissistic just authentic <laughs> um because this could be another episode where you know authentic conversation when you how authentic is authentic when you know 
Yeah. Or, or you don't know, but maybe this could be a later episode. I think this should be a later episode, so stop talking right now. Oh, I could put notes, get later episode. To, um, get back to your math talks. This is what I do. I jump around. I know that. And so we got back into our math talks, because I'm getting into our math talk right now. And with the green screen and their conversations, and then they started to make, this is where they really articulated where their tr- struggles were, and I was able to give the rich feedback to it, and then it was sort of my diagnosed, diagnostic, it was it was everything in one. Mm-hmm. Great place to, to give some feedback to, they got to share their stories, and they were open and authentic about, you know, I really like algebraic expressions, I've been going, far, uh, going along, been doing the learning, and then we hit these negatives, and Mr. Cheney, I hate negative integers expressions, it's, yes, yes, perfect, let's go. And then it was great, and we uploaded the video, and then we put it into our digital portfolios we're building, and we reviewed it, and I put some comments on the the side for them. And it was a very good, powerful learning experience. For all the things we sort of talked about with our what we can get out of Math Talk, it lets students just be authentic, vibrant with their conversations, share their fears, share their successes. And then it gave me an entry point for some authentic and specific feedback that propelled some learning. And then when we got back to it, collectively as a class, we'd all come to the same conclusion that we were struggling with the negative integers and we were struggling with multiple variables, where before I think a lot of students felt like they were on an island struggling with it. And then there's the stigma of, do I want to tell people? Do I want to engage with people? But then when it sort of got opened up that this was a thing that we Mm -hmm. were all sharing, yeah, now now we could take it on as a as a collective group. Right. I love that. I love that you were able to come to that kind of conclusion with your class and then come to a consensus on 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 how to work through a problem. Um, I had I had a you know, it was a similar situation, but it was it was kind of like opposite. I had I had students that were not speaking up even on the most simplest things because because they feared that uh, that the that they were going to be wrong. So for my, for my class, it was very much a risk taking situation where they just were not comfortable taking the risk of of trying to answer something in front of their peers and then coming off as incorrect. And uh, and and so for for myself and my students, this this had to be something that we had to break down a little bit and. Um, we found that this worked. Now, I, I teach in a classroom situation where uh, I have a co-teacher, and so there's two of us in the room, uh, and then we have, you know, kind of a large-ish class. It's about 20, 21 kids in the morning, uh, and then 24 in the afternoon. And so, um, so what we decided to do was actually split up our group into into two class into two. Uh, sections. And uh, so I took a group to the back of the room and and we're lucky that we have a large enough space for us to be able to do this. Now I teach my lesson with a group of about eight students, eight to 10 students. Um, and uh, and then there's the other 12-ish that, uh, that are in the other group. And this is a dynamic group. So um, so the students understand that, you know, one week we might have 
six kids at the back and 14 at the front. Um, and then, you know, some days that we'll, we'll, we'll switch back and forth and we move kids back and forth through the, through the different groups so that, you know, it's always dynamic. Students don't always don't feel like there's a smart group and a dumb group, you know, in quotation marks. And so this is always a stigma that stigma that we want to work, uh, that we don't want to exist in our classroom. So we're always, you know, moving students back and forth through the different groups. Um, but something that we came across in our discussions in our smaller groups is that they are a lot more comfortable sharing their thinking when the groups are a little bit smaller with their teacher. And so they, they actually speak up a lot more. They're not as scared to speak up in front of the class when it's a smaller group. And so for myself, we did a lot of really deep learning, a lot of really great instruction or conversation dialogue between uh, ourselves when we were in smaller groups and we had, we had the ability to break down a large task into small tasks, into small, like we chunked it. And, uh, and we found that the conversation kind of came alive in those situations, in those small group settings. And, uh, and students were much more, uh, able to take risks. And now when we, we have the smaller group situation, students are taking risks, they're talking about what they're learning and they're not as scared. When we get back into the whole group situation, those same kids, because they were validated in the small groups, they were validated by their teacher, by their peers. Those same kids are now able to put their hand up when we are in the entire class scenario. And they, they feel like, because they had their thoughts and their feelings validated, they could speak up in front of the class. So they, they took the risk in the small group and now they're willing to take the risk in the bigger group because their ideas have been validated. And so on a social emotional standpoint, for me, that was, that was huge. That was a huge win for my class because, uh, you know, we started the year wondering what's going on. I mean, nobody wants talk. And so now that we are talking, we can go to the next level and we can take the next step into making this an even, even deeper conversation. I must say, I don't like the fact that you switch schools, but I do love hearing your stories when I haven't sort of been a part of it or know the students at all. It's really, it's invigorating. Um, so I love hearing your stories. I love how you've m modified your entire space because you are, you talked about the size of your kids, but you also teaching in a large gym, which is a large space, but it's also a difficult space because it, it volumes an issue. Um, it, it, the coldness, when you think of, when you as a teacher know how tough it is to communicate in a large open space like yeah. that, imagine being 12 and 13 years old and, and maybe uncertain if you should be speaking up and then you've got to worry about the... The volume. Yeah, the anxiety yeah. of I've got to be loud, I've got to be heard. Yeah. And so you've done marvelous things in that space and I love how you've sort of move things around in your room so that there's multiple it's very almost Montessori style it is in a middle school format where kids are able to go and free flow into other areas and you really break that stigma when students would have IEPs etc where they feel like oh I'm the, oh let's send the four IEPs over to this section right. you've you've really broken that down where we we're integrated we're diverse we've got a variety of different stations we're all going to benefit from each station uh, in that differentiated sort of model. And it's fantastic. So I really love hearing your stories and I love hearing them more on the podcast because this is where you give me a little bit more of those juicy details. That's true. Because I'm thinking, you didn't tell me this while we were drinking coffee at the car. <laughs> you know, we have very limited amount of time when we connect, you know, in the mornings for our 
coffee breaks, uh, you know, coffee in the morning. Uh, and then, you know, just like when we when we do connect, I think it is, you know, this rich conversation that we get to have during the podcast that is so essential for reflection. And this is why we love doing this and why we love having these talks and these conversations. Actually, I, I love doing this for the $3.6 million paycheck I signed. You know, the $3.6 million is very nice. I have to say it's a nice little little perk always, to, to doing this podcast. It always reminds me of a, Sid, a Sinbad joke. I don't remember the kids' movie, and they asked him in this school, would you do this again? I would, but not for free. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that we would continue to do this for free, as we are. <laughs> and so it is tons of fun. Absolutely, because ultimately we always get better in the classroom with all the conversations That's right. we have. And I think it's time for the swag bag, isn't it? It's time to get us out of here, talk about a little swag bag, talk about a few takeaways. Mm -hmm. And in this episode about Math Talks, we really fixated on the SEL component, really embedding social emotional into our curriculum by embedding Math Talks as part of that. Mm -hmm. Feedback, such a great way to give really rich, authentic feedback that we're not solely relying on performative evaluation. This is such a gateway to seeing where our students are at and where our students can showcase where their learning is at. Yeah. In the anti-racist framework, it's really great way to not center ourselves. We're no longer the center. We're no longer right. the answer key. We're not the answer key. And then overall communication skills. We just yeah. embed that class culture of communication talking debating and overall that is what we want in our spaces yeah we want our kids to be confident and to be able to share their learning with each other and with their teachers because ultimately that's where the best learning is going to come from you can find us on a variety of different spaces absolutely school rubric where we're starting our live stream presentations on tuesday evenings you can find us on school rubric that's right you can also you want to jump on the next one? Sure, I'll take the next one. We are also Codebreaker Ambassadors. So you can catch us with Brian Aspinall and the rest of the Codebreaker team pumping up all of the amazing things that they are doing. I'm a code breaker. <laughs> and you can also find us with Teach Better. And we're really proud to be associated with the Teach Better Podcast Network, where you can find endless great podcasts. And we're in there too. We are absolutely. And lastly, you can find us on Voice Ed Radio. We host The Drive on Sunday evenings at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And also catch us for our pop-up radio shows. You never know when they're going to happen, but we'll show up on the radio at some point. And it's going to be an amazing time. Thank you for joining us on The Staff Room. We love that you make a little bit of time for us every week in this space. And we can't wait to see you next week. On The Staff Room Podcast. With Che and Pav. <laughs>